Now, my friends, <clears throat> try to tell me you can't relate to what you just saw. What Kim shared as an actor is a reflection of Kim's real life. And I know all of you, as have I, have been given cards to play. Some of them good and wonderful, beautiful even. But some of them are not so good. They're hard, they're painful, and they're difficult. I've walked my journey as you have walked yours, and we continue to do so. And I want to tell you, after a lot of times of struggle and difficulty in my life, <clears throat> now when I'm handed a card, there's one thing that I try to ask of God. And I don't always succeed. <laughs> I'm not always good at this. But the question that I try to ask of God is, God, what are you up to now? In this series that we began a few weeks ago now, interrupted by an ice storm and other things, entitled When God Doesn't Make Sense, is all rooted in Exodus chapter 14. It's a series about these times in life when our hearts break and the challenges come and the difficulties invade our lives. My friends, we need to think biblically about these things. We need to... We need to dig in and we need to understand what the Word of God, what God Himself has to say about such times. And as a result, this series is, is being presented. And I hope you dig in. Because life's not always easy. The circumstance in the time of, of uh, Exodus 14 is that Pharaoh's armies were riding toward, as you might remember, the people of Israel who were found in a vulnerable place. And they literally thought they were going to die. And it says they were terrified. Um, as we all would have been in that situation. And the reality is that I have suggested to you and want to suggest again, we all find ourselves there at times. And we, all, and we do ask those questions as the drama has presented. Why God? A few weeks ago we talked about the responses many of us have. God, do you really love me? If you really loved me, would you let this into my life? God, are you really a good God? Sometimes you go as far as getting angry at God and blaming God for our circumstance. We began to learn the biblical way. Remember we talked about the Israelites? They saw two options. They saw going back to Egypt and living in slavery or death. But God had a third option. He saw through this process, I'm going to lead you to something remarkable and good. I'm going to lead you to life. We're going to look further into this passage today to try to dig out more of God's thinking about this reality. And we're going to do so by again asking the question, why? Not the why me, God, the angry and doubt-filled question, but the legitimate question of why, Lord? What are you up to in my life? We're going to read through this story, uh, omitting most of what we studied a couple of weeks ago. And I want you to see the answers that are there. So let's start Exodus 14, verses 1 to 4. I'm going to reread this because it presents an answer that I think is foundational to the text. And then we'll jump to verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharoth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. 
Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. I want to stop there for a minute. There's a pretty clear answer to our question of why embedded in those verses. And the answer to this question is that God said, I will gain glory for myself. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? The Israelites being led by God to this particular situation where they become terrified and they think they're going to die, all that God might glorify himself. I think a lot of people might respond in their own circumstance by saying something like this. Yeah, I get to suffer and you get glory. You know, I feel pain and I feel the heartache and I experience the loss and God, you end up looking good. Do you ever think that? Ever felt that way? Ever wondered about that? Well, we're going to carry on, but I want to tell you central to the answer of the question, why is the glory of God? even in and through our heartache. Let's, do, let's look at uh, verses 13 and 14. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. See, God here is promising deliverance. See, God wanted to see these people to see him act for them. He wanted, and he wanted to rid their lives of their enemy forever that they might never have to face him again. This is big picture stuff. God was going to act in a powerful way for their deliverance. Verses 15 to 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. There it is again. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and that army. Verse 18. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You know, through this action, God wanted the Egyptians and he would lead the Egyptians to know him. You know, God wants himself known, my friends. God wants to be seen by everyone. God wanted even the Egyptians to believe in him. We would call that evangelism today, people coming to believe in the God that they didn't know previously. Let's look at 19 and 20. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Can you imagine being there? The powerful army of Pharaoh who was intent on destruction on the other side of the presence of God, God's people <laughs> separated from them by the, lo the Lord himself. I want to tell you, if you had seen that, what would we think? It would have been a matter of, my goodness, God is here. God is protecting me. God is active and alive for me. Right here, right now, God is saving me from them. 
been a remarkable experience. 21 and 22 says this. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. My friends, again, God is presented as deliverer. God is presented as savior. God is providing a way of escape for his people. God is giving them safety. 23 to 25. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. You see, just as Moses had said in verse 4, the Lord was fighting for them. What God had promised, God was doing. And even the Egyptians were beginning to recognize the reality. Verse 26 to 28. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Again, exactly what Moses had said, the spokesperson of God, what he had said in verse 13, the Egyptians you see today you will never see again, and God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He provided for these people. He was faithful to his word. And then comes 29 to 31, especially. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You want to know why? There are a lot, there's a long list of answers to the questions. The question, and we've, we've marched through it, but if you really want to know why the circumstance was formed by the sovereign hand of God in, in that day, it's given to us in these verses. And first of all, it says that these people ended up fearing the Lord as a result. What is that? It's very simply this. In the simplest of terms, a person comes to fear the Lord as they see the Lord work and as they come to know who he is and they see his power being displayed in their presence and they come to a place of being in utter awe in the presence of God. You can see it here. How could it have been otherwise? Because God did fight for them. He did part the sea. They did walk through the sea on dry ground. Walls of water were on their left and on their right. God did throw the enemy into confusion, and by God's power, that water flowed back over that enemy, and that enemy was absolutely destroyed, gone forever, so that the Egyptians, or the Israelites, would never have to face them again. And in all of this, these people had to do nothing other than obey God, do what God called them to do. 
And as a result, they were left in awe. God had revealed his power to them. God had revealed his saving presence. God had showed his dominance over the power of evil, which was at work. God had proved to them again his love. I want to tell you, what do people do who experience this kind of God, who so encounter God and see God working for them in the midst of their struggle? You know what they do? They give him glory. They stand back in awe, and they recognize the work of God in their lives, and they're just blown away by the magnificent and remarkable God that they have come to know. And here's what we need to know, my friends, today. When God glorifies himself, when God reveals himself to people in this fashion, the end result of God glorifying himself is our being blessed. You see, God revealing his glory is just like everything else that God does. It's done in love, and it's never simply for his own sake. It is for our sake that we might know the God who is with us, and we might know the God who is at work in our midst, and we might know his love and his power and his grace. See what God is doing here, and I want to suggest to you, not only in that day, but also in our day as well, when we experience hard times, what God literally is doing is forming his people through an experience of incredible difficulty. And I want you to think about this. Where would the Israelites have been if God hadn't told them to camp in that vulnerable place? Where would the Israelites have ended up if God had not hardened Pharaoh's hearts, hearts so that he would go after them? Where would these people have been if God hadn't allowed these folks literally to suffer for a time? Well, it's really clear according to this text, they would have ended up without a knowledge of his glory without a fear of God having been developed in their minds and in their hearts, without a knowledge of who God truly was, they would have been underdeveloped in faith without this experience of God. There's another really, I think, significant answer in verse 31. It's first this idea of fearing God and being led to an understanding of glory, but also in 31 it says that they put their trust in him and in Moses. They put their trust in God. You know the difference between belief and trust in the Bible? Have you thought about that at all? Belief, in, in some instances, just means, you know, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. And a lot of us could say some of these things. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose again from the dead. I believe I can find forgiveness of sin and salvation in him. All of these things are true. But trust, that word trust, goes beyond belief, and it takes us to an active dynamic of believing in God. You know, coming to that place where, where we recognize and we understand that God is with me and God is powerful and God is at work and I can trust him with my life. Knowing that he is present, knowing that he is powerful, knowing that he will fight for me. You see, before there is belief, yeah, God's there. But afterwards, this is this experience of putting their trust in the powerful and present and living God. I want to read to you a couple of uh, verses, three actually, from Psalm 119, that incredibly long psalm. I want to read to you verse 67, and I want you to notice in this very short verse the before and the, acti- before and the after dynamic. Before I was afflicted, the psalmist writes, I went astray but now I obey your word. There's a before and there's an after, and that's obvious. But what's in the middle? 
is what the psalmist describes as affliction, heartache, difficulty, pain. Let me read to you verse 71 of the same chapter. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Hmm. Verse 75. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Now, I want to tell you, my friends, you take a good, close look at those verses, and they will place our afflictions in a different category in our minds. We will view them differently. We'll start to think about them differently. If God didn't allow these difficult and challenging and, yes, painful times in our lives, what these verses say that we would end, he would be unfaithful to us, not faithful. He would be leaving us where we were rather than where we need to be rather than where he wants us to go. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the Israeli Israelites before the intervention of God through Moses and then before the intervention of God through uh, his protection in this instance. All the struggles that came their way. And I want you to think about a parallel, parallel reality between them and us. I want you to think about a parallel reality between Moses then and Jesus today. You see, both they and we were under the power of slavery before the action of God. For the Israelites, they were under the power and the oppression of a Pharaoh who made their lives absolutely miserable. And before the Lord Jesus came along, we were under the power of sin. Couldn't break free. Didn't have the capacity. But then came Moses and Jesus, and both confronted evil. Moses confronted Pharaoh. Jesus confronted the power of evil on the cross. Both appeared to be weak in the eyes of the world. Moses, a poor shepherd, confronting the powerful Pharaoh. Jesus, an insignificant rabbi. But both were empowered by the living God, and in both of them, God overcame the evil which they faced. Both made a way of escape. Both set their people free. See, Moses was a type of Christ. He was a picture of what would become in Jesus. He showed us what Jesus would do when Jesus eventually would hang on the cross and be raised to new life. And I want to tell you, my friends, Jewish people for millennia have looked back to the deliverance of God at the Red Sea. They continue to do that to this day. It is their moment of absolute and remarkable salvation by the living and powerful God. We look back to the cross of Christ when Jesus finally and ultimately defeated the power of evil. And like the Israelites, we end up free from the power of sin. You see, we get free by Christ's work on the cross and by our faith in what he did there in his person. But my friends, we break free in increasing measure through the reality of our times of suffering. Do we suffer? Yes, we do. We all have cards that we could show one another if we wished, right? Every single one of us. 
But I want to tell you, my friends, God is forming us. God is at work to save us. God is present to deliver. God is revealing himself to us in powerful and dramatic ways if we just have the eyes to see and to believe so that we end up literally fearing God in awe of who God is, trusting God as we never did before. My friends, we end up seeing his glory and we are changed. You know, the closest parallel to this teaching in the New Testament is the verse that's being quoted for us today, Romans 8, 28, and that is probably familiar to many of you, that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purposes. For those people who are his, for those who have entered into the family of God, who have trusted in Jesus, found their sin forgiven because they've asked in the name of the Lord Jesus, have found the spirit of God dwelling in them. For those people who are Christ's, all things work together for good. All things, good and bad. But you know the really critical verses for us in that chapter today are the ones which follow Romans 8, 28. They're verses 29 and 30. And I want to read them to you. Because after that incredible verse, that incredible promise that is given to us by the Apostle Paul, it says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Why? to become conformed to the image of his son. Right after Paul talks about those times which just don't make sense to us and which break our hearts and which we wish we had never had to endure or encounter, Paul writes, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. Why? To become, to be conformed to the image of his son. To become like Jesus. To be changed in the process that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus came first, and we follow after him. And those, listen, he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also, what? Glorified. <laughs> we are being led, my friends, to the experience of sharing in the glory of God through our suffering. You know, the reality is, uh, my friends, there's a powerful evil in this world. It still exists. It, hasn't been it has been defeated, but it hasn't been destroyed. We read Revelation and we look, at it, we look forward to a day when it will be destroyed, but it still is. And that's because God chooses it to be so. We might not like it. We might wish he would do otherwise, but it's there. And as we live this life, we're going to bump into it and it's going to have its tragic consequences in our experience. It's going to hurt us. We're going to struggle and we're going to, we're going to feel pain and we're going to encounter the reality of what God never created us to encounter. But I want to tell you again, we have a magnificent and an incredible and remarkable God who is a sovereign God and he looks down upon this world of ours and we talk about living the story. We talk about the story that God has. And God looks down and he said, I'm going to take what is there and I'm going to orchestrate the events of the lives of my people. And yes, evil is going to attack. And yes, evil is going to harm them. But in the end of the day, I'm going to reveal to my people who I am and they are going to be the blessed ones. And they're going to know the reality of who I am. I will glorify myself in them, but they will have faith that will be strengthened and deepened and they will be transformed and they will become like my son, Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, <laughs> as much as it doesn't make sense, that's incredibly good news. 
my friends, look at this text. Study it more, will you? Ask God to reveal to you the many, many, many truths that are embedded in it. We're going to go back to it for another couple of weeks. But I want to tell you the reality is when we encounter struggles, when we encounter heartache, when we encounter the difficulties that come our way in life, when we are handed a card we would like to hand back to somebody, as was with the Israelites, there is a God in your life and he will not leave you alone. And he will protect you and he will defend you. And he will work in your life in powerful ways so that in the end of the day, you are blessed by him. As I said a few weeks ago, that's why James could write, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. Are you getting it? Consider it in the moment, joy, because you can stand back and you can say, okay, God, this doesn't feel good. But I want to know what you're up to. Because I know what you're up to ultimately will be really good for me and for you and for your kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, it is hard sometimes for us to see what you see and to know what you know. Lord, when we enter into that time of struggle and difficulty and pain and, and fear as the Israelites did so long ago, sometimes all we can see is what is in front of us. But Lord, we know that today in this text, we're called to see what you see and to come to a place in our lives where we're absolutely convinced, even though this hurts, the reality is that my God is with me, my powerful, overcoming Loving God is with me. And he will protect me and he will see me through this and he will take me to where he wants me to be in his faithfulness. He will accomplish his purposes in me. And in the end, I will see his glory and in the end, I will be the blessed one. Father, we just want to take a minute and say, a deep thank you, a sincere thank you for the fact that even in our worst times in life that you are working for our good. And God, we would pray that when we are there, I think of people this morning who may be there right now. God, help us to be people who stand back in faith, trusting in you, knowing not only that you're with us, but that you are doing something remarkable in us. God, in, in the midst of the bad news, we pray that you'll help us to see the good news. We pray that we will encounter you, that we'll see through the eyes of, the faith, of faith what you are actually doing, that we might sit back in rest and in peace and in patience until you take us through to the other side. God, what an incredible God you are. And as your people today, we just come before you and just recognize your glory. And God, we accept the sovereign plan that you have for us. And in the midst of it, Lord, we will trust you. Trust you to do incredible things, even through the challenges we face. Lord, give us faith. Help us to trust you actively in the midst. Help us to know that you are there. 
producing something good for your people. Our, our Lord, this we pray in the incredible and in the powerful name of Jesus.